Let me welcome to the show a man that needs no introduction. Hey. Ryan Abrams. Thanks for coming on Kowalski Analysis. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Dude, it's so good to kind of sit down with you and catch up. Yeah, I've been talking to the voice, but I get to see the face now. So, <laughs> yeah, man, it's this is awesome. So you're in Oklahoma, right? Yes, sir. Born and raised, still live here. Yeah, I I heard that country accent when you jumped on the Zoom. Oh man, I can get down with that country accent. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people knew you guys were from the Midwest when y'all came out. I, I assumed you guys were city boys. That's what a lot of people thought. And I was like, how could you think that with this nasty accent we had? When we moved to New York, I think it was 89, early 90, everybody we came encounter with made fun of our accents. <laughs> which is like, where are you from? So maybe a little bit, a little bit of it over the years went away. But yeah. whenever I hear my voice back, I, I can't stand to hear my talking voice back. Well, if, if to look at you guys, you definitely look like city boys. And then you, you were on the soundtrack for New Jack City, and that was based out of New York. So I guess people just kind of thought. From New York. Yeah. I'm hard. I'm hard. <laughs> so that's awesome, man. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. So if you all don't know, Brian thinks he might have COVID. He's got some symptoms. His wife was just tested positive for the antibody, so we know that she had it. And he has been kind enough to jump on this live stream with us, even in spite of being on his deathbed. The, the red cheeks, man. I hate the red Santa Claus cheeks. That doesn't help <laughs> things. But yeah, running a fever, a lot of the other symptoms, headaches, nausea, weakness. I'm just, I hope it doesn't get worse. You know yeah. what I'm saying? How long have you been feeling that way? On and off. It's a couple months now. That's what I was trying to tell you earlier was right when it, um, hit the airwaves that San Francisco airport was one of those spots where they were finding people. Yeah. I had traveled through that airport three times in a month. I had already been through there several times. And the last show I did was for Valentine's day. And when I did that show, I think I came home with it and like had it not full blown, like dormant. I got sick. My daughter got sick, throwing up. She's running 114. My youngest, it was scary. Man. I was like, do we need to call an ambulance? That's freaking me out. So we took her to the hospital and they gave her steroids and she got over it pretty quick. But my oldest daughter, she hasn't really had many symptoms, but I'm going through it. I, I think I was get well. I start mowing, doing some yard work, little stuff around the house. And then it would hit me again. It hit me about three days ago again. And the doctor, she tested me said the fact that I share a bedroom with my wife and I took care of her when she was sick, you know, the coffin and everything that it's unlike if I don't have it or have had it. Yeah. So I took the test. I'll find out Friday. Um, we'll see yeah. what happens. I guess wow. it would be a good thing if I had, because then I don't have to worry. All I have to worry about then is getting other people sick. What makes it worse is just the fear of getting it. It's almost like I just kind of want to go out and just get it over with. So I ain't got to be afraid of it anymore. Then you hear something like what you said, where you've been sick for however long and it's, and it's, yeah, like, it might be one of these things that comes back in waves and you, you know, you, it's not like the chicken pox where you get it once and it's gone, you know? So yeah, the doctor was saying, if your body's not producing antibodies, then you're not able to completely conquer it. You know, you'll get close and then it'll beat you down again. I've, I've just been battling it. That's what the doctor seems to think. Yeah. Uh, so either way, she might still give me some steroids. They gave my wife a whole bunch of steroids and crazy stuff. I mean, she was wired. She went from being so sick, she couldn't hold her head up to like 
speed demon around the house. I was like, whatever it takes to get her over it. Cause it scared yeah. me. It really scared me. So. Well, I appreciate you jumping on, man. This is great of you to do this. Um, I definitely want to talk about your uh, sobriety journey. I know there's a lot of people out there that are very interested in it, but I, I want a little background before that. So I'm super interested just for personal reasons, but I was watching an interview you did with Mark Wahlberg's brother. Is it, is it Jim? Jim. Yep. Jim Wahlberg. Yeah. And you were talking about when you guys got discovered and I heard some things in that interview that I didn't know. So you were shy, actually. I heard you say you were like 400 pounds in high school. I was 400 pounds in high school. I was a big boy. Prior to getting discovered. Yeah. My junior year in high school, I had high blood pressure. The doctors found out I had high blood pressure. They're like, you need to lose this weight. And so they put me on a special diet and I started jogging, which I hated at first. I ran all the way until just a few years back. Then I had to quit running just because of my bones. I'm thinking about picking it up again because it's pretty obvious I need to do something. So you were, you, you I was 400 pounds. Yeah. I dropped a whole bunch of weight and just started working out, eating right. And then we moved to New York. So when we got our record deal, I was thin and really thin because I was running eight miles a day. Mm-hmm. We were doing like 2,500 jumping jacks, 500 sit-ups a day, you know, in sets, not all at once. Yeah. So we were doing some insane stuff to stay fit. But what people didn't realize, and this is where the drinking comes in too, was even though I had this thin look, I'm still a fat kid inside. Right. I had a lot of insecurities in school. I, I knew I had a voice, but the voice was what I felt. And the reason why I focused on that was because I felt that's all I had. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because the girls just, oh, I just want to be your friend. I got so tired of hearing that crap. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, but yeah. You don't never know what's really going on on the inside. So I, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I used to be a stripper. And I started stripping when I was 19 years old I w- and I was this insecure kid in high school was not popular, moved around a lot. And I used to drink before I would go out and strip because I, I didn't have the courage yeah. and it gave me the balls basically to go into liquid courage, stuff. man. That's yeah, why they call it my that. clothes off. And of course that turned into a habit and, you know, took me to a place of honestly of, of addiction to alcohol, to, to some bad places. So you guys got discovered by, was it cool in the gang? Yep. Cool in the gang. They came to your school or what? No, they had a show here in Oklahoma City. And we used to go and meet some of the groups when they would come through, take our cassette tapes. You know, we had our acapella brushed up and we just try to meet someone because we knew there was no music industry here in Oklahoma City. So Cool in the Gang was one of the ones that came through. They were doing this perfect attendance in school. If you had perfect attendance, you got to go and meet them at this hotel reception. Well, none of us had perfect attendance, <laughs> but we, we ditched to go to this thing. And we got in and we started singing for cool, just out of the blue, hey, can we sing this song? He's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. So we started a little doo-wop. He said, let me introduce you to my cousin, Adele. So Adele is the one that ended up being one of our first managers. And it, it just kind of started happening from there. It was crazy. We were still in school, but we had to wait another year before we could really start doing anything, traveling to New York. We did that for a little while, do some recording, come back home, go back. They're like, we're not going to do this full blown until you graduate high school. Wow. So you guys were like 18 years old when you blew up? Kids. Well, no, I think I was 20, 20, 21. But even still, that's crazy. Because y'all just came out of nowhere, man. Like, I remember (laughs) it was like a super group. It was like Vanilla Ice, 
Millie Vanilli, George Michael, and Kenny G all were in one group. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was wild. Your head must have been spinning. It was, man. It really was. We were not expecting it. We did a showcase for Giant Records, which was a new branch of Warner Brothers, and they just happened to be working on the New Jack City soundtrack. The movie was already finished, and we did a couple of songs with a bunch of other groups. We just showed up at this place and did this little showcase, and Cassandra Mills came up. She was like head of A&R, and she said, do you guys want a record deal? We said, yeah, and within a week, we were flying to LA. So that was the first crazy thing. Even though you want it, you just really don't know if it's ever gonna happen. Mm -hmm. You think you're prepared for something like that, but you're really not. So when that happened, we start recording our album. Then they come to ask us, do you guys want to maybe do a song on the soundtrack? We have this certain scene that we want you to look at. Dr. Freeze and Spider-Man are going to be producing it. And I flipped because I knew they did a lot of stuff for Bell Bib DeVoe. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like he, he's a brilliant songwriter and producer. Dr. Freeze was or is. Yeah. And, um, we, he, threw in the, he threw in the slick wreck track or like the sample? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. He also threw in the sample that got sued, Betty Wright. She wasn't really mad, but she was like, why didn't anybody come to me? We didn't know. Uh, we knew Slick Rick was a sample, but we didn't know about the musical samples. Back then, everybody was sampling everybody. Yeah. yeah. And so it was kind of embarrassing, but I was like, well, it wasn't us that did it. So anyway, moving on. <laughs> uh, we record this song. And they put it on this movie soundtrack and radio picks it up. They had Ice-T, Queen Latifah. They, they both had singles out. Guy had a single out. Christopher Williams had Don't Break Me, that song. So radio started playing I Want to Sex You Up a lot on the East Coast. And yeah. Yeah. So people were playing this uh, movie soundtrack. So they came to us and said, we want to put this out as an actual single. You guys we want you to finish this album in two weeks. We had two weeks. At first we were thinking we had months and months to work on an album. <laughs> That's crazy. They wanted an album done and released while the single was still hot. So it, it yeah, it moved really fast. It, my head was spinning. Yeah. I sure. thought, and I thought I heard that too. I thought I heard when y'all came out with that single, you didn't even have a record out yet. So, and then you dropped two more hits with me and more and all for love. I don't remember what order it was in, but that's a hell of a, a run quick. Yeah, it was nuts. And to be Okies, Oklahoma city boys, country boys. And for that to happen, it was nuts. So literally from that single catching on, it didn't have a picture on the first single, you know, it just had the New York skyline. So we were hearing this record in cars being bumped up and down the streets in New York. And we're like, that's my song. <laughs> People thought we were just re being ridiculous. Nobody right. believed us until we did our very first live interview. And that was with Sherry Carter on BET. And I was flipping because I had a crush on her. Christopher Williams flew with us out there to do the interview. And I'm like, I'm a white boy doing an interview. <laughs> on Black BET. entertainment television. I'm Love like, it. this is the greatest. <laughs> and, that, and at that point, I was like, now people will believe me when I say it's my song. Right, right. That's so, yeah, up. we were just being idiots, man. We were just being young kids, excited about what was going on, having no idea what we had in store. Yeah. So, who's the coolest celebrity you ever met? Wow, that's tough. Well, Prince was the epitome of cool. Oh, yeah. You know? Uh, I didn't get a chance to be around him enough to see his personal side. 
but in person, he's really Prince. I mean, that dude was something else. It was like, hey, and that was enough. We got <laughs> to open up for him in Chicago. That's nice. Um, Billy Joel was another great one. We got to sing mm-hmm. with him in the studio. We actually did some recording with him on the River of Dreams album. We told him we knew his song. We sang him a little acapella. He called up his wife that he wrote that song for and sang lead while we sang harmony to her in the background on the phone. Pretty cool story. I grew up on Billy Joel. So So, so basically, you have this crazy explosion onto the scene. You're this guy, used to be overweight, got some insecurities, and you have a little social anxiety when you get on stage, and that's really kind of how the drinking started. Right. Well, <clears throat> the drinking I didn't do on stage in the beginning, but I drank here and there at parties because yeah. I wasn't a guy that picked up girls. I've stumbled on my words. Which is crazy to me, because honestly, because if, if you, anyone would have looked at you, you look like a complete like ladies man. Well, see, when you're shy and quiet and you don't talk, they're like, he must think he's all that. Or you just miss out because you're too shy to talk. Right. So yeah, I gave a lot of wrong impressions and I was just scared to death. Yeah. <laughs> it really was. So I got a couple drinks in me. I was like, wow, I'm actually talking and they're listening instead of me doing something stupid and feeling like an idiot and walking off. Right. Uh, that's how I felt anyway with the drinking. Yeah. What started the drinking on stage was I lost my voice because I was singing leads on mm-hmm. a lot of these songs. We were on the Club MTV tour and I got sick. I lost my voice. I mean, I was talking like this. I was in tears, scared to death. We had a show in like four hours. My bus driver, Gator, was like, let me fix you a hot toddy. I had had one before when I was a kid. My grandfather made me one to get me over the flu, wrapped me up in a blanket, gave me a shot of whiskey with some honey and lemon and hot tea, and I was good. My voice came back that night, and the boys were like, wow, what got into you? You hit some notes that we're not used to hearing you hit. And I was like, oh, my God, I found the magic potion. Right. Yeah. So literally on those nights, and, and not a lot, I, I don't think I was an alcoholic in the beginning, but it got to the point where I felt like I had to have something before I went out because it made me more courageous. It warmed my vocal cords up a little bit, and I felt like I could focus better, mm. you know, which is kind of ridiculous. Now it gives I guess you that, at some point. Yeah. yeah, it gives you that false confidence. Mm-hmm. So you guys run, like where you were touring, you know, you were doing – you know, A-list shows. How long did that last? Years. We were on the road for years. We were lucky if we got to be home for a couple of days on Christmas. We were in hotels on Thanksgiving. We were in hotels on holidays. The Club MTV tour, we would do our own personal shows in between. And then we started with Paula Abdul, toured with her for a, a long time. So it was three years, maybe, something like that. It's pretty was heavy. It? What was it like coming down from that? Like where you start to like slip where, you know, maybe the shows aren't as frequent or maybe the paydays aren't as great. Was it hard? You're not having number one hits. Right. Like, Oh God, you know, it was scary. It really was. I mean, we were young, so we didn't know what to expect. And so we had to kind of remind each other that we got really lucky, you know, getting where we were so fast. And we had always heard about these sophomore jinxes, you know, these second albums, So when those type of things started happening, I started getting worried because once again, I'm this insecure guy, you know, that used to be overweight. I I knew music was my thing and I had to do something with music. I took music theory in high school. I was in choir and I did a lot of music stuff, contests, classical music actually, 
I had an opportunity, I got a scholarship opportunity my senior year to go and major in music at OCU here. And they're one of the biggest, like they're known for their music program. And I didn't take it because I wanted to chase my dream. So when that dream started dwindling, when everything started to slip, I started getting worried and wondering if I had made the right decision. Um, I would say it was hard to deal with, but not too hard because I always looked at myself as a regular dude anyway. Right. What was hard was going and working a regular job, not because I thought I was above it, but because I just wanted to be a regular dude. My grandfather was a carpenter, mm -hmm. so I knew how to do a lot of stuff. I knew how to lay tile. I knew how to sheetrock and do all kinds of stuff. But every job I got, there was somebody that wanted to clown. And I got a family, yeah. so I need to work. Just leave me alone. People yeah. thought it was the funniest thing to see you out there doing that. And so that was one of the hardest parts was just trying to get people to give you the benefit of the doubt and give you a chance because they picture this cartoon character or this guy that used to sing on TV. And now you're here working with them a nine to five. I laid tile. I did sheetrock. The last big job that I had, which I loved, it was brutal, but I loved it. My wife's father before he passed well they actually still own the tire shop but it's the properties being used for something else i was stacking and collecting stacking and and uh repairing truck tires you know like wow um, big ones and i'd yeah. stack them 12 high so i was in the best shape of my life and i was mm -hmm. swollen not from weights but just from rolling and stacking semis every day 12 high 222s i think yeah and uh 385s do you how big a 385 tire is? No, it's about no. as wide as me, and it comes up to right under your chest. And you have to stack those, so it's a technique, like rolling part of it up on your knee, flipping it and shoving it while it's still moving. Because if you don't, you just can barely get it off the ground. So it put me in some really good shape because it was a behind-the-scenes job, and it was my wife's, my girlfriend at the time, father. Of course, he gave me shit all the time because I dated his daughter but it was behind the scenes and I could be myself and nobody was clowning and I liked my job it kept me in shape shape I, mean, I was ever in was when I was doing that job even hearing that is shocking to me because most people are under the perception that you make a number one hit and you're pretty much set for life uh-huh I could imagine people see you doing some job manual labor then they're like hold up what <laughs> aren't you the yeah, guy we, you know, the funny thing is, I'm, I'm 50 now, man. I turned 50 in November. I'm still recording. I've still got songs that I want to release. But I'm just now finding out, literally, that there are royalties that I was supposed to be getting from various BMG, ASCAP, Sound Exchange. The list goes on and on. And I haven't been getting even half of them. They've been yeah. going somewhere. And I just got notified from one of the companies that there was some confusion. And so we'll put it this way, back when I was struggling mm -hmm. and I wish I was doing better, I could have been, Right. but the money was going to the wrong places. And that happens a lot in this business. If you don't pay attention, make sure you got everything right and you've got the right kind of accountants, you can end up in trouble. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so the good news about that though is, is I've got a payday coming because now these companies have to redirect this money. They're going back in the books and the archives and finding out which songs, because we wrote most of our songs on our albums. So we have a lot of publishing, a lot of royalties coming through radio play and online stuff, movies. Mm -hmm. So 
that's another really cool thing. I, I really appreciate that stuff. And I'm glad somebody at least looked out for us in that aspect. We never sold any of our publishing. That's awesome. But there was some people out there that were taking advantage and taking some money. I'm sure the record business isn't, or the music industry in general, isn't known for having the most scrupulous people. (laughs) Seems like there'll be a lot of shady figures. So tell me about your sobriety journey. What's it been like? You've been 13 months now, is that right? 13 months on the 12th. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. Today. Today's the 12th. Congratulations. Happy anniversary. Man, let me tell you, I thought for a lot of years that I just didn't have it in me. Yeah. I just thought it was just that bad. I didn't understand it. And... (laughs) here I am. I'm sober. I haven't had a drink. I could take any kind of drug test and pass it with flying colors. That's a great feeling. I don't know if you want to jump right into like the spiritual side of things. Yeah, man. I'd love to. No, no, go ahead. Go with it. No, my life was just in turmoil. You know, the drinking, a lot of it was due to just not being happy, not being where I wanted to be in my life, Mm -hmm. not being able to express myself artistically the way I wanted to. I went from being about 270 pounds and I looked like a linebacker and I ran between six and eight miles a day. I was in really good shape all the way up until just some years back, but I wore my hips out because hip dysplasia runs in my family. So as soon as my hips went out, I kept eating like I always did, but I couldn't run. Mm. So I started putting that weight on. And let me tell you, when you look at yourself in the mirror, and I can say this now, I feel different, but I'm going to be very honest. I would look in the mirror and I would say, I hate this person. Nobody wants to hear this guy sing, I want to sex you up. Nobody wants to be sexed up by this guy. So I'm just like, hence, drink. Because then it would give me that ability to not give a shit. It would make me think maybe I looked better than I did, which made things even worse. Because now you got this big guy who looks like meatloaf up there singing, and he's drunk. You know what I'm saying? Not a pretty picture. Not a pretty picture at all. So... A lot of things started happening that I can talk about and that I can't talk about right now anyway. It just got to the point where I would pick myself up and I would stay sober for a couple of months. I think four months is the most I'd ever had. But it was always trying to rebuild what I had torn down with all of the turmoil and insanity that I had created. So I'll tell you what, for Christmas, my wife and my daughters bought me a leather wallet. That's the first wallet I had owned in over 15 years, man. I'm carrying around my own car keys in my pocket. Mm -hmm. That means a lot. You know what I'm saying? When your family has seen you be sober enough that they can say we trust you, that's some real shit, man. That's awesome, Brian. So you and I talked about a year ago. I think you called me when I was was in Pittsburgh. I was there for an event. And you were thinking about are we okay to talk about you leaving CMB or not without getting into the details? Or we can't? I can't really talk about it much because okay. I'm actually in an sure. ongoing lawsuit with Mark yeah. Calderon right now. Okay. So you were thinking about making a, a career change. Let's just say that. Yes. And uh, yeah. you know, you were really wrestling with it because you're like, I haven't wanted to do this in a long time, but it's my livelihood. You know, I talk a lot about vision on a personal level, I talk a lot about chasing your dreams. And there's a verse in the Bible that says without vision, people perish. And Mm -hmm. when people don't have a vision, like a part of them dies inside, or if they're not chasing their their own personal vision, and you were kind of stuck in this place as like this nineties. Nostalgia group. We were singing, I want to set you up all for love, the same songs. And you you felt like a prisoner because you wanted to leave, 
but you couldn't leave because you're like, well, how am I going to provide for my family? And you got all the the dynamics mm -hmm. with your other group members. And we yeah. were on a tour the last several years. We were on a tour called I Love the 90s Tour with a lot of 90s artists. And it was a blast. It was a lot of fun in the beginning. But it, there just comes a time in your life, especially when you have daughters. I always said, God has a great sense of humor because he blessed me with two daughters. So now my perception and perspective on a woman is completely different now than it used to be. Now when I see a beautiful woman or just any type, any color, any size, the first thing I think is that somebody's daughter. So here's a deep one that we can talk about. Being on the road, fans that want to meet you, girls that want to meet you, here's where you got to make a big decision. Do I want to use that? Do I want to use my power against this person? Right. Because I know that she would be willing to do anything. Yeah, that's horrible. That's someone's daughter. Just because somebody might be willing to do anything to meet you or spend time with you does not mean that you have to reciprocate it. Yeah, you don't have to respond to it. I know that's kind of heavy duty to jump into, but no, dude, I'm doing these big shows for yeah. these couple of years, and I'm singing the same songs while I'm recording all these wonderful songs, life stories. I like country music. I'm from Oklahoma City. I like R&B. The reason why I like R&B and country is because they tell stories. It's not just about my cars and my money and my bling. It just it gets old after a while. And I wanted more substance in my life. When I laid my head down at night, I wanted to know that I had possibly helped someone. And right. if I couldn't help them, at least help my own family by being able to provide, but doing it in a way that is righteous and not evil or dark. I could got to the point, man, where I really felt at a lot of these venues, especially clubs and bars, when everybody's wasted, there's drugs, there's alcohol, there's a lot of, you know, other stuff you've written books about that just really hit on some of those things. And I didn't want to be a part of that anymore. Yeah. I wanted to be able to use my music as a platform so that I could tell my story. And I'm still new. I'm a new buck in this whole sobriety thing. But the more I help people, the easier it is for me to stay sober. It's yeah. weird how it works that way. Yeah. And they were trying to pound that into my head for the last 20 years in different treatments that I went to. But it all started making sense. I asked God, I prayed to God, and asked him, please take this urge away. Because I didn't think I had it in me to do it myself. AA teaches you, you got to love yourself enough to want to save yourself. I didn't love myself enough. Yeah. So who am I going to save myself for? Yeah. My daughters and my wife. So have you found that urge is gone? I don't even think about going to a liquor store. I got a liquor store walking distance from my house. And trust me, they know me because I spend a lot of time up there. And I've not been in there one time, not even thought about going in there. The reason why is because I finally got enough time to to go, why would you want to do that? Even on a bad day when I've had an argument with my wife or something didn't go right with the case that we're in right now and I'm just about to lose my mind. Once in a while, I have a thought of this is one of those days I definitely would have drank right. and ended up on a binge. And then that other voice comes in and says, why would you do that now? You know, at this point, it's not going to do anything to help you. Yeah. That's only going to make things worse because you're putting off the emotions, whether it be anger, sadness, whatever. You're putting those things off until you are back off of the alcohol. Right. So it gets hard. It got hard about six months because all of the turmoil that I had created. Also, other things going on that I'm having to clean up due to 
my selfishness. Addiction is a really selfish disease. It's a narcissistic disease, man. Tell me if I start rattling because I can't. No, it's good stuff, man. It's like the addiction is tricky because it, it gets you to a place where you think you can't be happy without it. You can't imagine your life without drugs or alcohol or whatever you're into because you're like, well, how am I going to go to a baseball game and not have a beer? Or how am I going to get on a boat and not have a drink? You can't even imagine that there's this other way to live. What are you doing for pain now? For me, when I quit drinking, I was completely sober for six and a half years and it was an emotional roller coaster, man. I went through serious bouts of, it wasn't like the urge was gone. I wanted to, I just knew that I couldn't. So what do you do now for pain? I mean, no. more like the depression and stuff. Like you get the your depression, down. Uh, helping people, spending time with my daughters. Like we just went and bought new bicycles a little while back. I bought this, it's a, a, called a soul stomper. It's a fat bike with fat tires that actually will hold up to a 600 pound man. So I know I can do some jumps or pop a wheelie if I want to, not that I'm doing that, but I got me a bike that I felt comfortable on because I can't run. So getting outside, yeah. riding the bike with my daughters and my wife around the neighborhood in the summer when the pool's clean, it looks like a swamp right now. It's horrible. Uh, just physical yeah. activity, getting sure. out. I found that being on my phone and playing games and scrolling, that wasn't doing it for my depression. So I was like, maybe you should try what you used to do, which is actually standing up on your feet, getting off your ass and going outside and do some things around the house that need to be done. So I just stay busy. The working out is key too. Like you you get that dopamine rush after you do a a good workout and and that feeling of accomplishment, you know, so so definitely it would encourage you to continue in that. What's the future hold for Brian Abrams? What do you see? Because I know I've, I've been encouraging you like, dude, you need to start vlogging because your journey is going to be inspiring to people. You need to write a book because let me ask you this. If you wrote a book, what would be the name of it? Wow. <laughs> I want to tell you so bad, but I, it, it's, it's good. I can't. Has it can't got something it. to do with the name CMB? Nope. Not anything. You, Absolutely you, nothing. It doesn't even have my name in it. But when people hear it, they're going to go, Wow, that's a really interesting perspective. I'll tell you this, what it will be based on. It will be based on people that have mental illness issues, which I have had, and I take medications for depression. The alcoholism, how can I put it? It will be um, based on taking someone that is an alcoholic or addict that is down on their luck. And I'm not just talking about myself. That's the other thing. The book isn't just going to be about me. It's going to be about people that have had struggles and had good reason to want to drink or do a drug, grew up rough, had some abusive parents, um, molestation, whatever it might be that got you to become that person. Those things you do are not who you are. Those are just things you do. Are the, the, it, it, it's going to talk about using all the bad stuff that I had gone through the experiences growing up. My father was shot and killed when I was two years old. I never knew him. He was murdered in my grandmother's house, which I lived for a while as a teenager. So you can imagine how depressing that was. Right. Just things, not a pity party either type of thing. I always wondered, I asked this question for a long time. When is enough enough, God? Mm. Have I paid my dues? I know I've done a lot of bad. I've hurt a lot of people. I've done things that I'm going to always be ashamed of, but I've asked for forgiveness. I'm trying to make amends when I can. When is enough enough? Mm. And it's enough when it's not like he inflicts it. He allows things to happen. And 
it finally occurred to me that maybe one of the reasons why I did all that drinking because I was surrounded by people. I was surrounded by the guys. They were supposed to be my best friends, but I was alone, dude. I was yeah. like all by myself yeah. to go through those things. And instead of complaining, whining and doing drugs and alcohol, try to see the positive in it. And it just clicked for me one day. I need to be an instrument. Mm-hmm. I need to go out and share my story. If I want to sing, sing some songs, go and do some shows, but just be careful where you do those shows. Yeah. And when you perform, use just the songs to talk about your story, to let people know, hey, you probably feel like you've been through some crazy things and you've had it rough. And I'm not saying that you haven't, but you're not by yourself. There are a lot of people. There's a lot of celebrities even right now that are trying to break down the stigmatism of mental illness. People don't want to talk about the issues that they have, temper issues, flares, depression, bipolar, just a lot of stuff. Because depression, it can make you physically sick too. People didn't want to talk about it. And now everybody is starting to talk about it. And it's helping people. So I just feel part of my calling is to use the music as a platform to try and help others, starting with my daughters and my son, because they have the gene. I call it prehab. You need to educate your children about drugs and alcohol, let them know the whole picture. It's not just about parties in the summer and the beach. And why is daddy and mommy always smiling when they're drinking that juice? You need to explain the whole picture so they know what kind of risk they're taking if they have an alcoholic or an addict for a parent. So first and foremost, I had to get sober for my daughters and my wife because they deserve it for one, two, because they need to know that daddy can get sober and stay sober. Yeah. Because what happens when somebody offers them something? Yeah. What what are they going to think about? So I just feel like I was allowed to go through the things that I went through and make the mistakes that I made in order to grow up and learn. I'm, I'm a hard learner, man. I have to learn the hard way about everything. I heard that. So I just, Thanks. you know, I feel like I'm supposed to help people. So you, you think a solo career might be in your future? Um, yes, for sure. That's awesome. For sure. But I got to get this chub rock off, man. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's still some muscle in there. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. We can, we can do that, man. I had to get the alcohol in check. It's you did it once. You can start. do it again. City Fam yeah. has workouts, live workouts, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 8.30 a.m. So why don't you join us? Start joining us for those workouts. Hey, I'm, I'm down. I I'll saw do Brad diet. Pitt on the show the other day. Brad Pitt's from Oklahoma, by the way. I look at this dude. I look at Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I think to myself, I don't have any excuse. I'm 50. But I could, if I wanted to, be in the best shape of my life. Let's you know, but I'm taking baby steps. Now that I'm sober and I can focus on some other things and not have to worry about just tearing it all down as soon as I've gotten it started. So, yes, the gym is definitely on my agenda. Nice. Yeah. I want, so what about the blog and the book? I know a little bit about your journey just from you and I talking. And I know it would inspire so many people on so many levels, the sobriety, the weight loss, all of it. A lot of times you don't see yourself how other people see you. You are mm-hmm. this iconic figure from people's childhood and slash whatever. And they're interested and people love a comeback. You're in the process of making it. I definitely feel like you need to document the journey and write a book because it will help so many people. Those are actually things that I'm, I'm pondering right now. Um, <laughs> the whole physical thing used to be for me for attention or to look good vanity purposes or whatever at an age I am now it's to be healthy and to be around to see my daughters graduate and go to college 
You know, I have a friend that I went to high school with that died of a massive heart attack years ago. And so when people start dropping around you that are your age, it's like, I need to start thinking about what I'm putting in my body. Sure. Let me ask you this. Let me go backwards for a second. So who, who inspired you guys or maybe you specifically musically? Musically, one of the first, gosh, it was all over the place, man. That's one thing that I will give my mother. She loved music. She played instruments when she was young and she had anywhere from Earth, Wind and Fire, LTD, the Commodores, Journey, The Who. I can sing from rock down to even the country because my grandma and grandpa, they were country and listened to bluegrass. You're part American Indian, right? Isn't that right? Yes, sir. Choctaw. I actually have a roll number. So it's, it's legit. <laughs> so I think one of the first times we talked, you told me that you guys actually did gospel music, right? Before you got discovered? We did do some gospel music. We went and, and uh, performed at some churches in Oklahoma City and some other states, like a little tour with some musicians. So we did a lot of acapella stuff. Maybe we I, need to pull a Kanye and get you doing some gospel music now, convert you to the other side. Well, how, how do you know I haven't done that already? You just haven't <laughs> put it out. I don't know. Yeah, I, I might have done a couple of those already. So tell me about your spirituality. Where are you at now? You got a faith community? I guess that's the first question. And how instrumental was your faith in getting sober? I would say 90% of it was that. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I went to a place called Oceans in California, Newport Beach. Wonderful place hardcore counselors like we had many fights and arguments not physical fights but cussing each other out because they've got to you know you got to look at yourself and you got to own your shit man if you can't own your stuff then you're not going to really have the tools to to get sober and stay sober so i did do the treatment and i have been sober 13 months today but it's also with a lot of prayer i go to meetings when i can aa meetings but i also surround myself with positive God-fearing people. I'm not really into denominations either. I grew up Church of Christ. That's another reason why the music, because they didn't believe in instruments. They're changing now. It's like, you got to make a joyful noise with your voice. I asked my preacher when I was 13, I said, does it say somewhere in the Bible that you can't use instruments to show your love and joy for God? He pulled me to the side and was like, well, son, no, it doesn't. It says to make a joyful noise. And so whatever that might be, instrument, voice, whatever, you know. So I, I got my answer, but we used to sing a cappella in church. So I've always had a church background. I've always had a love for God and, and praying and, and doing those things. I'm trying to grow and be a non-judgmental because it's real easy to get caught up into a particular denomination or yeah. something and pointing fingers. Well, one thing we can all agree on is there is only one true God. Right. You might fall under different names, but there's only one. Yeah. No, you're right. I believe there's one God, and I believe Jesus is the way to him. Yes, sir. Yeah, I don't know about some of the other ones, but I don't try to get off into that. But I'm I'm not big on denominations either. People say, well, I'm this, I'm Catholic, I'm Baptist. I'm like, you worship Jesus or you worship a church? It's really all about him. And, you know, I don't think anybody's got it. It all right. A lot of people call those uh, churches of what's happening now, yeah. like the hip church to go to. I'm with you. I definitely believe without Jesus, it isn't possible at all. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to that, I had a lot of those prayers, man. I really did. I was, you know, in tears, on my knees, in treatment, before I went into treatment, since I've been out of treatment. I, I don't want to go back to that. And so yeah. a lot of prayer, 
uh, a lot of time with people that are spiritual. My wife and I actually have someone come over to our house and we do Bible studies over here. Not now because of the COVID thing, but <laughs> we have some really close friends that come over and we'll sit for hours and just talk. That's awesome. So if you could give, because I got a lot of, you know, people, a lot of friends, actually old friends and, and people that are even connected to me through my social media that struggle with addiction and they're maybe they've tried to quit and they're back and forth. What would be one piece of advice that you'd give to somebody that's either trying to quit, thinking about quitting? Screwing up is just part of the plan. Don't hate yourself when you screw up. It, it happens. You got to pick yourself up and you just keep trying. The yeah. next time you might get a little more, you might stay sober a little longer or stay clean, stay off whatever your drug of choice might be. But slipping and falling does not mean you have to quit. That's the mentality that I was in. I just got to the point where it was like, man, if I can't go, you know, I keep messing up. I had to think max four months and mm -hmm. then I go right back to it. Yeah. And it depresses you. I would be willing to bet that a lot of these uh, entertainers and musicians that you've found with overdoses or had committed suicide, a lot of those I would be willing to bet were due to them relapsing and they just couldn't handle the guilt. That's not something that you should take on because it's a disease. That's not who you are. My daughters and my wife, daughters especially, would always refer to that drunk guy as that bad man. Hmm. So I've got to protect them from that guy. Yeah. And so and make sure he never comes back. Yeah, I'm just looking on social media now to see if we have any questions for you before you jump off. So what somebody said something about your second album here. Let me see what it says. It says, how frustrating is it knowing that the last Color Me Bad album, Awakenings, had better songs than their charting hits, but there was no push to promote, so many didn't hear it? It was upsetting. That was one of the last times that we toured because we had changed over from Giant Records, Irvin Azoff, who is an awesome guy, believe it or not, despite what some people might hear. But Sony had Tommy Mottola, and Tommy wanted us at Sony and so he bought us out. He bought us out from Irvin. And this whole awakening, the first single was Remember When. And it was Remember When because it was a love song and because Tommy was going through a divorce with Mariah. Mm. So he was all in Remember When mode. Like, do we really have to do this? Do we really have to end this? So he was dead set on that being the single. I loved the song and still do, but I wouldn't have chosen that for the first single. That's one mistake. Mm -hmm. Second is there was no push. We were doing these shows and people would say, when is your album coming out? And we'd say, it's been out for six months. <laughs> so when that starts happening, it's very frustrating. Yeah, I listened to that, that uh, song, Remember When, the other day on YouTube. I don't remember how many views it had, but it, it wasn't nearly as catchy as you know some of your first hits. But, yeah, so, some of the best songs were never even singles. So who wrote, did I Want to Sex You Up? Was that Sam or was that you? Or It was it was all of us. Mm -hmm. We had all contributed a little bit, mostly Sam and I, but mm -hmm. mostly Freeze. Freeze had the track. Freeze had the concept and the hook. But as far as certain melodies and ad-libs, we made minor changes. A lot of the All for Love, Slow Motion, I Endure, we wrote 100% of those songs. And mistake or not because I don't know that boys to men I heard they don't do this and I wish we had done it different we decided to split everything quarter 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 and a quarter across the board 
our share, we would split evenly regardless of who wrote what or how much of it they wrote because that kept us brothers and kept us out of fights. All that did was create fights. Right. Because it got to the point where a few guys didn't want to write or just weren't inspired to write. So some are putting in a lot of time and the others are just collecting because they know they're going to get that cut, whether they do the work or not. So uh, how, oh, I'm sure. How many times were, were you approached about doing a solo career? Because I really feel like you were the star. So I'm sure people had to come to you and say, hey, man, drop these other I, guys. And you can I have had two, two really, really cool offers, like big opportunities. The first opportunity that I had was in 1990. And, and ironically, oh gosh, he just passed away. Andre Harrell. Okay. Andre Harrell, I had a meeting. We would come to New York a few times and recorded some stuff, but we went back home and I got a call from Adele saying, we need you to come up and work on some vocals in New York. We want you to redo some things. And I was like, okay, cool. I get up there and they take me to Uptown Records. Uptown, that was the label back then. I mean, that's Mary J. Blige, Jodeci, Al B. There's a Diddy was working for Andre Harrell back then, wasn't he? Yeah, well, I think so. And he wanted to change my name to Brian Parks. He's like, you will be the white boy version of Albie Shore. We're going to change your name to Brian <laughs> Parks. And I was like, I actually kind of like that. But do I have to change my last name? But I, I couldn't do it, man. I couldn't do it. I, mm -hmm. I said, you know, what about my guys? Well, you'll be on the front of the record and they can sing harmonies and they can do their thing, but they won't be on the cover but they can be a part of it, but that's something we'll have to work out down the road. And I had to say, no, I was just like, I, I can't do that to my boys. Yeah. You know? well, so I went home, I had an offer to do a, a duet in a record with Janet Jackson, but the guys didn't like that idea. And they were like all or nothing. And I turned it down because they didn't want to have a whole group, four guys singing to one girl. It was a little weird. Yeah. I adore was a strange kind of video because we were all trying to share this one girl too. So I didn't want to do that again. Yeah. There were some opportunities that I passed up, but I felt like it was for the right reasons. What hurts is to know that I really can't say that they would have done the same for me. Right. You know, sure. And it's hard and I'm not trying to knock anybody. No, no, I know, I know those are hard decisions that. that you have to make, you know? Yeah. And you never know how it's going to work out when somebody splits and, and does a solo career. Cause for some people you look at like sting or here's fairies. perfect examples. Yeah. Black eyed peas, Jodeci, new edition. You know what that is? That is welcoming your boys creative side. Go for it, man. Do your best because what you're doing when you're out there doing that, you're promoting us. Right. You know, yeah. Fuji's, Lauren Hill, Wycliffe, yeah. we got the Black Eyed Peas, Fergie. You know what I'm saying? These groups promoted themselves and then it made it even better when they came together. And I just couldn't get these guys to go for that kind of stuff. Yeah, crabs in a bucket. Mark would have been great just playing, a, hey, play some acoustic guitar. You're Mexican, sing some Spanish. They will love it. Right. Yeah. Well, man, it was great catching up with you, dude. I'm, I'm super inspired by your journey. I'm really proud of you. I'm hoping that you take my advice. Let me coach you on the, the vlog and the book, man, because I think the book is going to be very well received. I think you thank you very much, man. I really appreciate it. You are an awesome dude. And um, I know I rattled a lot. No, I love you it. Know, 
there's a lot there to talk about. And so I'll tell you why you need to share content, why you need to create the content. And this is just a little story for the people that are watching. So you reached out to me. I originally reached out to you because I wanted the book color me bad for the horseshoe casino. And I was looking for an act. You gave me your manager's number. I guess you followed my page and you started seeing some of my posts and then you're like, dude, I need to talk to you. So you call me with your wife and you're like wrestling with this decision about basically whether to follow God's call for your life, you know, to jump. And you're Mm -hmm. like, I feel like I'm supposed to do this, but I'm really unsure. And I'm like, bro, you got to jump. If this is what God's telling you, you got to do it. And if you It's scary because financially. Oh no, I hear you. How do I make this happen without, you know, and you could call that not being confident in yourself and, and able to pull it off and make that transition and it be smooth. Think about this. I, I'm not you. People don't know me like they know you. And just from me posting content, I was able to inspire somebody to go after it. So you, your story is going to inspire a lot of people. And I'm just going to keep, I'm going to keep pushing you until you, you. the word says you overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. So I think the word of your testimony is really powerful. I do. Thank you, man. I really, that means a lot. It really does. And you're an inspiration. You know what I'm Thanks, saying? What's all you Jesus really are. For real. And so, uh, yeah. And uh, without Jesus, I'd be dead now. You yeah. Know? Same. I probably would. So yeah, man, I appreciate it. And well, um, maybe yeah, we'll dude. do it again. Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I'll let you get back to your wife. Tell Kim I said hi. And I uh, hope you feel better. Keep us posted on how you say recover. some prayers. I'll let you know. I'll, hopefully yeah. I'll know something by Friday. Yeah. I'll get everybody out there watching. Say a prayer for Brian to recover quickly. Thank you. All right, brother. All right. All right, man. Take it easy. Yeah. Love you, bro. Peace. Love you too, man. See ya.